0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You sometimes hear people complain that pop songs all sound the same. That's never really been true, but it hasn't totally been false, either. In the 90s, Vanilla Ice tried, and failed, to defend himself for ripping off a Queen song. Last spring, Lil Nas X gave Kurt Cobain a songwriting credit for accidentally copying the melody of a Nirvana hit. And a few weeks later, Katy Perry lost a $3 million court battle with a small-time Christian rap group. The group claimed one of her big singles sounded too much like one of theirs. Each of these cases were either intentional or unconscious. But it's no longer uncommon for pop songs to have the same riffs or melodies or rhythms. In fact, there are now creators who pay the bills by making and selling sounds to other artists, all in one easy purchase. It's like downloadable content, but for music. And these bedroom producers are reshaping the pop industry. Today on the show, the sample libraries that are changing how music is made I'm Allegra Frank. This is Reset. I'm here with Charlie Harding, co-host of the Switched On Pop podcast here at Vox. Charlie, how are you doing?
1: So good. I'm so excited to be chatting with you.
0: Yeah, me too. So you're here to talk about a story that you reported for your podcast about a bedroom producer named Laxity. Can you tell us what happened? Sure.
1: Okay. So, Laxity is this bedroom producer who's trying to make it in the music business. He's a Zambian producer based out of the UK. And one day he wakes up. We went out to a gig on Thursday.
2: And then, Friday, when I woke up at 12, you know, recovering from a hangover,
1: <laughs> I checked Twitter. And he finds out that Justin Bieber has sampled some of his music. And then this guy posts
2: this video of FL Studio, the software that I use to make music, and he's got a Justin Bieber song. From the beginning it was ending. And the loop at the bottom. The caption is "There's a laxity loop in a Justin Bieber song, and I was like, "Wow, okay. That's that's happened.
0: Right. The song was running over from Justin Bieber's new album. So how did Laxity's sample end up on this song?
1: Laxity's a producer who put up his music on a thing called a sample library. Uh, He has produced a bunch of little loops and sounds that anybody can go and download on splice.com, a service of sample libraries that you can use in your own songs.
2: Like in my situation, I feel like it makes it easier for you to get recognized. If you have a sample
1: in your song, it's like a lot of bragging rights. Like my goodness, his life has changed but for a giant controversy that unfolds.
2: I completely underestimated like how big the whole thing was. I didn't really know that there was this whole
1: backlash towards Justin Bieber. So there's this other artist named Asher Monroe. He has also used this sample, and he thinks that Justin Bieber has like comped his song. And so Asher Monroe goes onto Twitter, and he... At Justin Bieber. He's like, hey man, you took my idea.
0: Baby, you complete me.
2: Saying, oh, Justin's stolen my beat because I released this song months ago that uses the same sample. I thought of doing that first before he did. He posted something on Instagram as well, which is getting a lot of traction. The whole thing when it started and snowballed, it was quite overwhelming. People were actually defending Asher Monroe at first, like, like why, why would, why did, he, why would Justin
1: steal your, your beat?
0: And the Asher Monroe song is called Synergy. What did Laxity do next?
1: Laxity, I mean, if I were him, I'd be probably kind of terrified to be like, I don't want to get in the middle of this Twitter war because, I mean, you know, it can be a dumpster fire, <laughs> right? <laughs> However. Laxity says, you know what, I'm going to jump in the middle of this and I'm going to clarify for the record what's going on here. I responded to Asher's tweet just saying, "Um,
2: no, I made this sample. You didn't. At first, people
1: didn't believe me. He makes a little video and says, check it out. I'm the creator of this sample. In fact, here's how I made it.
2: So just to clear up any confusion, this is a project file. I wrote all the notes. I did all the sound design. And thank you to Justin Bieber and his team for, you know, just using it. And it's such a great honor.
1: This is it. Suffice it to say, right. Laxity proves that, hey, this is his thing that he originally made. It's available for mm-hmm. anyone to use. You and I could make a beat from it right now if we wanted to and publish it online and it would be completely kosher. Right. What's Really cool that happens afterwards, though, is that Justin Bieber fans start coming to Laxity's support, and they say, hey, this is really cool, like, you know, Asher Monroe, back down, and eventually, uh, Laxity's logging on to Twitter, and he sees that Justin Bieber has given Laxity credit. No, not songwriting credit, but just sort of says, hey, you're part of this thing too now. Like, that's so cool. Thank you for, you know, offering your creative input. And for Laxity, this is a huge moment.
2: My heart literally just literally stopped, but like, you know, I just felt like, you know, that feeling of butterflies in your stomach, just the gesture of, you know, being tweeted at was pretty insane to me. That's pretty much the biggest thing that's ever happened in my entire life, basically. I'm super happy about it.
0: So it's funny to me because the fight that um, music fans perceived was like Justin Bieber versus Asher Monroe, right? Right. But actually, Laxity came out and was like, no, I mean, they're not copying each other, even though these songs use the same sample. Really, yeah. it's me. Like, they're not copying me, but I'm the start of this, Like, and I'm fine with it. I made this sample to be used by anybody. How chill he was about it, just like— Is so interesting and kind of funny to me. But how (laughs) common is it for, you know, big artists to use these kinds of sample libraries? Because that's the part that's really getting me. Asher Monroe, as far as I know, right, like kind of a smaller artist. Um, But Justin Bieber is huge. So is it common for people like Justin Bieber or other big artists to be using samples from people like Laxity?
1: Yeah, definitely. So when I first reported this story, I wasn't totally sure if that was the case. And so I actually rang up the CEO of Splice.com, one of the most prominent sample library services that people can subscribe to. And what he told me is that, yeah, this is very commonplace.
2: We hear Splice samples every day, everywhere, right? We're in tracks, Randy from Drake, Ariana Grande, Lil Nas X, all the names that you'd recognize. You know, it's literally an everyday thing for us.
0: So that's Steve Martosi, the CEO of Splice. Charlie, you're a songwriter. At what point do these samples come into the creative process of songwriting?
1: The music creation process is incredibly nonlinear. It can happen at any moment. Very frequently it is at the moment of inspiration or maybe lack of inspiration. Can't figure out what I want to write, so what am I going to do? Go browse some samples. I hear something. Oh, that's cool. Cool. I bet I could turn that into something. In fact, if you go and listen to Justin Bieber's song, Running Over, or Asher Monroe's song, Synergy, they are really based off of the core sample. That really is the sort of underlying backing track. So I think it would be safe to assume that that was sort of the point of initial inspiration. Mm -hmm. Although it's not uncommon for someone to say later on, hey, you know, I want some funny laser pew pew sound and just add that in and drop Mm -hmm. it in. So it can be anything from the core of a song all the way to something which is like an effect that happens in the background.
0: So, okay, we have mentioned Justin Bieber's Running Over and we've mentioned Synergy from Asher Monroe. Are there any other tracks that could have used this sample?
1: Yeah. In fact, we found one in a really roundabout sort of way. So the story was originally reported by Danny Deal at The Verge and she joined me for our sort of breakdown of this track. We took out Shazam! and shazam the sample. And what happened is actually another song came up on Shazam uh, by an artist named Yumda, a uh, South Korean artist. (laughs) And so there are other people using this sound, as, uh, as they are wont to do. It's available to
0: use. Okay, so Shazam, that's the app that will listen to a song and identify it using an algorithm. And even it couldn't spot the difference here?
1: Well, yeah, I actually kind of got the thing wrong. Like I think if Shazam were really smart, it probably would have said, Hey, this is a sample from Splice. But instead it says, Oh no, it's not it's neither the Asher Monroe song nor the Justin Bieber song. It's a whole other track. That was surprising to me.
0: Shazam was throwing a little wrinkle into this whole story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, so after all of this. Where does that leave laxity? What does this all mean for laxity?
1: Well, for laxity, he's, I think, sort of gone up a notch in his career.
0: I mean, without this, even like without this whole
2: Asher Monroe thing happening, if it never happened... I don't think it would have gotten to this proportion where I'm like talking to you guys right now.
1: <laughs> uh, he was a no-name bedroom producer that had a small following who was successfully making a, a career playing, playing shows and making sample libraries. But now he's been noticed by a giant fandom. And what it means for him is he's not going to start seeing royalties off of Justin Bieber's songs. But he is probably going to start selling more of his samples. And I think more people are going to start tuning into his music
0: yeah, I mean, it sounds like Laxity really came out of this whole debacle, if you will, as a as a clear winner, right? Like he's the one who gets to look like I actually originated the the amazing beat from this song that you all love. And now people can say they're fans of Laxity's work.
1: Yeah, he's definitely the winner here. As we established earlier, uh, many other top 40 artists use royalty-free samples that were made by somebody, likely a veteran producer, at home. And this was a unique situation in which, because of this confusion, uh, it, it provided the opening for Laxity to jump in the middle and say, hey, I'm here. Check me out.
0: After the break why Justin Bieber and other top artists are using these online sample libraries in the first place. This is Reset.
1: Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden, but this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there is no way that that Israel should be able to participate in Europe. Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched on Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. This week on
2: The Gray Area, Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions.
1: Are we alone in the universe?
2: What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn?
0: Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird, (laughs)
1: That's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We are back with Charlie Harding of Switched on Pop. Hi again, Charlie. Hello. How are you doing since two minutes ago?
1: I'm good. My golden fluffy cat has found me and is sitting on my lap, so I'm very pleased.
0: Oh, that's an amazing update. Thank you. But Charlie, (laughs) as much as I would love to talk about cats with you— Let's go back to the history of sampling. So the history of sampling goes all the way back to the 80s. It's not anything new. But why are artists today turning to online sample libraries?
1: The short of it is that they can't afford to sample like they used to in the 1980s. Today, if you want to sample a song, you have to get permission. You need to go get an artist permission and usually pay them a lot of money. So... You know, if you're a producer making stuff in your bedroom today uh, and you want to use sounds that aren't available to you by any other means, the easiest way to do so is go find a sample library where these sounds are incredibly affordable and might sound quite a bit alike to the thing that you are inspired by.
0: Okay, so you mentioned that this can cost a bit of money uh, to sample in the more traditional way. How did it become so expensive to do that? Well,
1: uh, this has a lot to do with U.S. copyright law. If you go back to the sort of dawn of contemporary sampling, you can go to 1980s hip hop. Mm -hmm. Producers get really fancy using a bunch of new digital technology that allows them to slice up recorded pieces of music and assign it to little drum pads and play beats made out of the composition of fragments of other songs. We can almost think of it kind of like a collage. You like this kick drum there, that hi-hat there, that bass sound from another song. You can put them all together in an entirely new transformative work. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was considered uh, a fair use way of referencing another person's work hey, this is transformative, this is original, artists start using dozens and dozens and dozens of samples. If you look at an album like uh, Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy, it had over 150 samples on it.
0: Where is Public Enemy? What's the deal? What's your latest hit, brother?
2: Fear of a Black Planet.
1: However... When we move into the 1990s and the 2000s, there are some pivotal court cases that decide that that historical use of sampling that really uh, helps build the sound and culture of hip-hop is no longer going to be allowed. It begins with Biz mm-hmm. In 1991, Biz Marquis samples Gilbert O'Sullivan's song, Alone Again. Hi. 1972 track and Bismarcky also has a song called "Alone Again."
0: Alone again naturally.
1: He was unable to obtain permission from the artist, but decides to release the song anyway. And in the case, he loses. The judge, uh, Judge Kevin Duffy, admonishes Bismarcky, even invoking scripture, saying, "Thou shall not steal." The defendant's attorney accuses. Bismarcky of thievery, and I think if you think about this in the context of the '90s culture wars, it's not surprising that uh, a black artist loses to a white artist, and that uh, the the sort of thoughts of the way that hip hop is being created at the time uh, is considered theft. Yep. Now, this is an important case because now anyone who wants to sample anything has to go and get permission. But there's actually a little wiggle room still. Artists are still, for the next handful of years, using small undiscernible fragments of music that you know, if, unless someone with you know forensic tools like maybe today's contemporary algorithms is going and looking for them, it's very hard to say that altered kick drum came from this other song and so people keep sampling a bit on the edges and hoping they're not going to get caught, they're going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. That all ends in 2005 when I think the second most important case happens which is Bridgeport Music versus Dimension Films in which a publishing company wins a important lawsuit against nwa who sampled less than two seconds of a funkadelic track and it was deemed infringement oh. the owner of bridgeport music then immediately takes this to court and He creates 500 other copyright claims against 800 artists and labels and basically starts acting as a sample copyright troll trying to monetize his assets as much as possible. The point being, if you want to sample anything of any length after 2005, you have to get permission and pay.
0: Jeez. So it's just become increasingly fraught and increasingly pricey.
1: Yeah. I mean at this point, if you wanna sample somebody else, it's basically a I think a certain kind of boasting. Sampling definitely still happens. Uh But it just becomes way more expensive. There is now a marketplace. People know they can charge major artists for their Mm -hmm. sample clearances. And and sampling is absolutely widespread. But if you want to get the coolest and most difficult to obtain sounds, say you're like Jay-Z and you want to make a record full of old, cool funk records and things, uh, you're going to have to pay a premium. And many times it's only the artists like Jay-Z who can afford to pay that premium and sample as much as they want.
0: But that's what makes these sample libraries so interesting and useful, right? Because they don't operate in the same way that traditional samples do.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So you know, right now, one of the very popular styles of, of music is lo-fi hip-hop. And the sonic markers of lo-fi are like vinyl, crackling, hissing, you know, cool old 1970 funk beats. And since you can't go and grab a vinyl from Parliament Funkadelic without getting sued, you can go on, find a sample library that sounds exactly like that. In fact, if you go to splice.com, mm-hmm. one of the main sites that that has these samples, you can find sample libraries uh, titled things like Dusty Beats and Lo-Fi Sounds. And basically, people are creating sound-alikes of what people would like to be able to sample from, though they can't afford
0: it. And something that, like, I... Really appreciate about this as a big fan of music is from the industry perspective, we're seeing more diverse voices have a better chance of getting, you know, widespread recognition in this industry because people like Laxity, who are literal bedroom producers, are getting an opportunity to put their music out there.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that the music industry is going through so many changes, and in some parts of the industry, there are fewer gatekeepers, and in others, there are more gatekeepers. Certainly, we see a consolidation of listening around a couple of core streaming platforms, but in terms of who's able to get in the studio and make high-quality sounding music, that is definitely breaking down such that you you just have to hone your talent at home, make great sounds, uh, use Uh, consumer-level available hardware that anybody can go and buy at Guitar Center. You know, you got to save up. It's not cheap, but it's not a million-dollar studio. Mm -hmm. It's something that is available in your home. And that definitely means that if you're a producer and you're not in Hollywood, if you're not in Nashville or New York or London, where many of these big music hubs and studios exist, you can make really good-sounding music anywhere. And Mm -hmm. I think that is exciting. I think that creates... Uh, more uh, more opportunity for people. I think it creates more competition as well. Uh, I think it means that as listeners, we might get to hear from new voices and really talented ones that might not otherwise be discovered.
0: And one of the things that's interesting to me here about these sampling libraries is that in a big way, the history, the existence of copyright, copyright infringement cases have basically made these sampling libraries exist. They've encouraged them to exist, right? Like, it's it has a huge relationship, a hugely direct relationship with copyright in the music industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. I think that this has to do with a trend that we see in the technology industry as much as we do the music industry, In technology, we have seen the rise of patent trolls, people who are trying to protect their intellectual property by going out and trying to monetize that intellectual property via suing as many people as they possibly can. Similarly, the music industry has really shifted into being an intellectual property business. In the 90s, the music industry was a physical goods business. They actually sold things. Today, they sell intellectual property and licenses to it. Mm-hmm. Streaming and digital distribution are the vast majority of the music industry's revenue. And so as the music industry has shifted into being an IP-based business, they've become increasingly litigious. From a artistic point of view... Uh, I do wish that people were able to uh, still exist in the world of the common practice from the 1980s and 1990s in which it was appropriate to sample small little things and make reference to a thing in order to uh, make larger commentary on it without permission from that artist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I am intrigued that this whole marketplace has spun up in order to serve people who are wanting to reference sounds and use at least approximations of them. So yeah, I think certainly for uh, the person who otherwise would never have access to samples uh, given today's limits on copyright. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it allows people to make things that otherwise would be unavailable to them and expands people's creative palettes.
0: You've given me a really good idea, Charlie, so I think I need to hop off and go make my own Justin Bieber
1: remix. Allegra, I've already beat you to the punch. I actually uh, did just that. I went and took uh, the Laxity sample and made my own little track that I'll share with you. Did you? I really did,
0: yeah. Oh my god, you stole my idea that I stole from you. (laughs) I'll see you in court. Charlie Harding is the co-host of Switched on Pop. You're listening to the remix he made using Laxity's sample. (laughs) Okay, actually, it's not bad. (laughs) If you want to nerd out on music even more, go check out Charlie's podcast, Switched on Pop, which he co-hosts with musicologist Nate Sloan. This is Reset, and I'm Allegra Frank. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at LegsFrank. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Will Reed and Skylar Swenson produce the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Daniel Marcus is our intern. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. And the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. Reset is produced in association with Stitcher. And we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday with Vox's Seagal Samuel taking over as guest host. Thanks for listening to me for the last few days, and see you when I see you, nerds.